Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Helps to be in the right chapter. Excuse me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Father, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you, and we bless you. We thank you for your blessed holy word, as always, and the anointing upon that word. Thank you for our ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, minds to be open to the glorious light of your word. Thank you for utterance in the Holy Spirit to proclaim the truth of your word that makes people free. We thank you, Father, for spiritual truth in a free country and the freedom to study your word, pray it, praise it, speak it, teach it without fear of retribution or reprisal. We thank you. We thank you, Father, that we live in just such a country. We thank you for the privilege of being your vessels upon this entire earth where we can share the gospel. We thank you for that good news. We thank you, Father, that our faith doesn't stand in the wisdom of men, but in your power, the power of the living God. We thank you again that as we speak, we speak as the oracles of God. As we minister, we minister with the ability of God. And Father, we thank you that we aren't so much as peddling the gospel. We're getting it out there so that many can be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, which is your desire. We thank you that we're set apart by your truth, for your word is truth. Now, as we study your word, Father, we thank you for revelation, heart, knowledge of your word. We thank you for all the head knowledge that we can glean, but we thank you most of all for heart knowledge, the word deep in our hearts so that we can act on it, live by it, share it, and be doers of it, not hearers only. So we thank you, we praise you, and we bless you in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Well... We're going to talk a little bit today about the burden of discipleship, and is it a burden, or should it be called a burden, the burden of discipleship. You know, a lot of people nowadays, as Christians, uh, have a problem with living the message, quote-unquote. I've heard people say they can't live the message. The more the message that they get, the less that they can live of it, so they fall back into other things. Uh, or they, they take the course of least resistance. You know, that, that's the easy course, the easy road, the, the, the one that you don't run into any roadblocks on, the one that there's no potholes in. But that's not necessarily fruitful to ourselves, each and every one of us as Christians, or as to the kingdom of God, it's not necessarily fruitful to take the course of least resistance. We want to take the course that that leads us in line with the gospel. We want to take the course that uh, makes our lives more productive and fruitful in every area. And and so we we thank God for the privilege of doing that, but we also have to see that there are some things we have to understand about discipleship 
in this opening, he says, if anyone desires, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, well, we're after him. If you hadn't figured that out, we're coming after him. We're following after him. If anyone desires to do that, he said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So right there, that scares people that we're supposed to live a kind of a life of denial. Deny ourselves everything that's good. Everything that's of this world that's, you know, that's not been defiled or perverted by the devil. We're supposed to deny ourselves of these things because we've got to follow Jesus. Whole entire doctrines and lifestyles have been built on that. But we're going to study a little deeper into this and see what it actually says instead of what people think it says. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. So automatically you're going to be dead if you follow Jesus. Is that it? No, you're actually alive if you follow him, right? But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And you know, scripturally speaking, that's called a paradox, which means uh, it's contradictory in some nature, but it actually proves out. That's a, The paradox of disi discipleship is is outlined in this commentary. Let me just read it to you. It says, Jesus explains the paradox of discipleship. To lose life is to find it. To die is to live. To deny oneself is not to assume some false external asceticism, but to put the interests of the kingdom first and foremost in one's life. What does asceticism mean? Well, I didn't know what it meant. I had to look it up. So, you know, looking it up in a dictionary is the best place to find it, right? Or a Bible dictionary. It means the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual, high spiritual states by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. Extreme abstinence and austerity. Well, you know, like, like I was telling Bill, you know, once you look up something in the dictionary... They're always going to use some words that you have to continue to look something up. You could spend the entire day in the dictionary if you wanted to. But thank God for dictionary.com. You know, you don't have to leaf through the pages anymore. You can just move your finger and, and get to it or just type in another word. But the, the actual word for mortification, and we, we know we've seen that in the Bible, haven't we? Because the Bible talks about mortifying the deeds of the flesh. The actual word for mortification that we're looking at there is to put to death. It, it means to overcome a desire for sin and strengthen the will. Give you more willpower. And of course we all need willpower to, you know, to deny ourselves certain things, right? So it gets back to the paradox, you know, are we deny to get? Do we live to die? Well, self-centered ambition should be renounced. He goes on to say in this commentary, to take up the cross does not mean to endure some irritating burden, but to renounce self-centered ambitions. I couldn't have said it better myself. Such sacrifice results in eternal life and the fullest experience of kingdom life now. The fullest experience of kingdom life now. In other words, you're not supposed to be beat around and kicked around and mocked. And, you know, there, there'll be certain things that you'll have to put up with because of the gospel. Jesus said, greater be your reward for it. 
Paul said it. The Holy Spirit said it. But you're not to, to think that you have to live in a tent or in a cave or something now and, and walk everywhere you go because, you know, everything is 12 miles between everything. Or have, you know, some beat up piece of garbage that you have to drive because you're denying yourself. We had somebody tell us one time we went to a hospital visit up in Pennsylvania and our pastor was driving a, about a five or six year old Ford Thunderbird at the time. It wasn't. It was a nice car. He kept it clean. looked nice. Pulled into the, the uh, parking area there for, for ministers, you know, but they, they have five or six spaces. In a, in a thousands and thousands of parking, they leave you five or six for, for ministerial parking. But we pulled in there, and another guy was just leaving at the time, and he said, boy, you're really suffering for Jesus, aren't you? Suffering for Jesus because you're driving a decent-looking car that's five or six years old. Well, somebody's got the wrong idea. You know, like, like he says in this commentary, to such sacrifice results in eternal life and the fullest experience of kingdom life now. Now, Jesus said he came that we'd have life and have it more abundantly. So, does that contradict anything here? For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This is this soulish realm here is the entire being he's talking about. More than just the mind, will, and emotions. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, to lay down your life is to lay down selfish ambitions. We should renounce selfish ambitions. Ambitions in and of themselves are not bad. It's not bad for you to be ambitious. To want to get ahead in life. There is no problem with that. Because that results in the furtherance of the gospel. But self-centered ambitions should be renounced. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Here's an example. It's what got the devil tossed from heaven. Yes, we all know. If you didn't know, it's true. The devil was right up there. You know, that's a whole other teaching in itself you know of what he was what he represented in heaven we're not going to go into that in depth today but you know study it out it's very very interesting but he got himself tossed if he was perfect someone's arguing if he's perfect how do he get tossed from heaven well he was because he was perfect he had the, the ability to do something wrong but like I said, that's a different teaching. We'll not get into that. Verse 12 here. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, or day star, son of the morning? How you're cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. And here's all these I will scriptures. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you should be, shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. 
And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you're cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. See, there's a lot to study in there, isn't it? You, you know, you have to, you think, what? Weak in what nations? Then you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you study that out. Like I said, we're talking about self-ambition here, self-centered ambition and not studying why Satan got thrown out of heaven. But here's the, the best example really I can give you. You'll not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land, slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. All that, all that because of what he did. He, he inserted himself in there as, as he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. I will exalt myself uh, above the throne of God. I will ascend into heaven. That's self-centered ambition. Now, none of us have that kind of ambition. But the problem is, uh, you know, we, we, have, we, we look at something and we see that we want to do something on this earth and we think, well, there's value to that. Maybe I should deny myself. Or you're on the other end of it. Somebody has an idea that they want to get ahead on this earth and they'll step on anybody in the process to get there. There's a difference between the two. Maybe you have an ambition to do something in your life, something long term. But it depends on where your heart is and what the situation is with your life. You know, I was talking to, to uh, a family member not long ago, and they said that they may have the desire to go in and get some more education, to be a, a you know, in a, in a certain field, because they wanted to go into the mission field and help people that are so desperately in need of help in this area. Not to be a doctor and play golf, you know, on Sunday when, instead of being in church. I'm not talking about that type of ambition. And I, I don't mean that every doctor plays golf on Sunday. But, you know, people want to be, sometimes people want to be a doctor because they see that some of them live in nice houses and drive nice cars. Well, you know, that's fine. If that's your desire, you know, set your goals, but we have to have them for the right reason. We as Christians should desire to get ahead in life. Why? Why? You know, remember that prayer? That old, they, they called it farmer's prayer, but I, I did, I've never heard it said a farmer's prayer before. It can be in any person, in any walk of life. God bless me, my wife, my son, Bob, us four, no, and his wife, us four, no more. That's, you know, that's bad prayer. Self-centered prayer. But here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. He's talking, he's instructing here, of course. And the build-up 
the build-up in verse 25 says, Put away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We're members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what's good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You know, that's not blind, self-centered ambition. And, and if you're careful with this, you know, somebody says, well, I, you know, the pastor said it's all right to, to desire a nice car. Certainly it is. You want to drive something that doesn't start half the time or you can't get around in bad weather or, you know, it uses tons of gas or, or you know, Gallons of gas, I should probably say. Or, or it's not of good utility value. It's so small you can't get in and out of. Or, you know, or, or would you rather have something decent? Well, the problem is, you know, well, I'd like to have five of them. There's five cars I'd like to have right now. And the Bible says in my father's house are many mansions, so I, you know, I'd need to get, get one here on the earth and then I'll have one in heaven too. You know, okay, what are you going to do with it? Look at Psalm 37. Some people miss the message. You know, they can't live the message because they've missed it. Verse 3 says... Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, it's my heart's desire to have me a fine new car. What for? If you need it, you need it. To do what? Just to parade around and show everybody. He'll give you the desires of your heart. doesn't say your heart's desire. My heart's desire is to have me a fine new motorcycle. I needs me that motorcycle. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. If you know him well enough, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And he'll bring it to pass. The closer you get to the Lord, the more your desires will be in line with what he wants you to do and his plan for you on the earth. It's not wrong to desire something nice. It's not wrong to have ambition. Self-centeredness, cockiness, arrogance, that's not God. Let him who stole steal no more. Let him labor so they can have something to give. And I've heard whining Christians too. I just can't give anything. I just don't have enough. Like the widow's mites, I give what I can. One relative said to us one time, well, pompously, we, we give X number of dollars a week. I know it's, that's probably too hard for you. I wanted to say, is that 
10% of, of, of your gross wages per week? Like it was some astronomical figure. We give, I'll just tell you, it was $5. We give $5 a week. I doubt if you can give that much. You ever get to the point you want to slap somebody? But you don't do it. You don't slap them. We give $5 a week. And it's not even the amount. You know, if somebody's gross is $5 a week, that's 10%. It's not the amount. It's this attitude. Praise God. That in, in and of itself is another message. We'll not get into that. But, but on, on the other hand, we're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Right? Put to death the deeds of the flesh. So where's the, where's the gray? It's not really gray. It's just a matter of getting our hearts right. Romans chapter 8. This is probably one of the best chapters in the Bible to get, you know, if you need to make some adjustments. I'm not saying you do, but this lays it out pretty good for us. We've been over this a lot, the entire chapter, all 39 verses, but here in verse 12 it says, Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, or mortify, the King James says mortify, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now there, there is what ties in Psalm 37. He'll give you the desires of your heart. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you know, your, your desire for a new car is in line with His Word. Or your desire for anything in the natural. You know, you, why should you be out in the mission field if your family is at home starving or living in a a three-room apartment and you've got six kids. That makes no sense, does it? God doesn't expect that. Well, we have to be humble. Yes, we do. Humble yourself for the Lord. He'll lift you up, it says. You have to have a humble heart. It doesn't it has to be an exterior thing where you're showing how humble you are. That means you're proud to be humble. We're to live a life in the Spirit. Live a life so close to God that our desires are His. His desires are ours. If, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, mortify the deeds of the body, you'll live. Thank God. And He gives us the way to do it. And the result is we're led by the Spirit and we truly are His children. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons, children of God. And it doesn't have to be some fake thing that you put on. Every other sentence is praise the Lord or you wear your hair, ladies wearing their hair in a bun and skirts down below their feet. And, and you know, no necklaces, no jewelry, no rings, you know, no makeup. Men, you know, can't wear anything nice, nothing in style. You know, that's fake. That's fleshly. 
I can truly tell you that I haven't said praise the Lord to anyone unless I meant it. But some people, you know, they feel like they have to say that to show how holy they are, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's an outward thing. We want it to come from the heart. It's got to come from the heart. And some will say, well, that's too hard. My, my flesh screams for things. My flesh needs this. My flesh needs that. Well, what did Jesus say? I come that you have life, have it more abundantly. But it's abundant life in the Spirit. Thank God we can get a grasp of this. But it's too hard. Brother, it's too hard. Too hard. Let's see what Jesus said about that. Here's, that's where the great divide is. And that's not a piece of land somewhere. The great divide in the spiritual realm. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. And we've talked about this before. The heading here in verse 25 in the study Bible says, Jesus gives true rest. And it explains that he's, you know, talking about the the burden of legalism. Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you, who are la- all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Not a yoke of bondage. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, forget about the word meek as far as meek and t- meekness and timidity are concerned. Think about it as far as gentle. Gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And we remember I told you the word easy is Crestos, Strong's 5543. From the verb chromia to use the word denotes that which is useful pleasant good comfortable suitable and serviceable that's the easy yoke of Jesus of a life in him a life lived in the spirit you know some people think living in the spirit you, you can't be on the earth we're, we know we're still here You know, we're not in some kind of a cloud or a fog. We're here on the earth. Living in the Spirit constitutes a life in Jesus. He says, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But our development is the key. It's like anything else. It's how someone is developed. And those of you and most of you have been or are in the in the teaching profession or in you know closely connected in schools and you you know and understand or you've been to school you can see the difference in development in some children and young people as opposed to others and I'm not talking about physical development I'm talking about how they were raised you can see it and understand it some of you are so well founded in it 
and, and so experienced that you can look at a child probably for five minutes and understand their upbringing. I guarantee you. I can almost do it. And I only taught for one year, and it, but if I have somebody in my office, and it doesn't take, you know, a, a doctorate in education to understand it. If a child comes in there and doesn't shut up and starts tearing up your office, and the parent or guardian or grandparent sits there and thinks how cute that is, then you know how they've been developed, don't you? Poorly. And some come in there and sit on the parent's lap and are friendly and smile and look at you and you, th you think, boy, I'd like to give them a nice big fat lollipop right now and let them suck on that because they deserve it. They're being good. Or I'd like to say, I think your parents should take you and get you an ice cream cone after you leave my office. But I, you know, I learned to keep my mouth shut on that one. Or a Happy Meal. Those aren't so good for you, so. You know, I keep my mouth shut, but you can see the development. It's up to us with our spiritual development. It's the same thing. We have to get the word so deep into our hearts that we desire nothing else above it. And how do we do that? Same scriptures that we look at almost every week. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law, this word of God, shall not depart from your mouth. Don't quit speaking it. But you shall meditate in it day and night. And observe to do according to all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. They're life to those who find them. Health to all their flesh. Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence. Out of it springs the issues of life. Psalm 1. Same thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. His delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. In his law or word, he meditates day and night. Why? He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither. Whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff, which drive, wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. That's us he's talking about. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the ungodly shall perish. So we get the word so deeply into our hearts that there's nothing else you want to do. Nothing else above it. We get to the point that Anything the flesh has to offer that's not godly is grievous to our spirits. We need to get to that point where foul language bothers us or evil connotations and thoughts that people throw out there or sinful lusts. You know, I can name a lot of things here, but j just w w those things are grievous to us. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Did I leave that one out? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. 
you know, this dissertation that, that Jesus gave here, it, it's one of the most widely quoted that you'll run into. He said in verse 25, I say to you, don't worry about your life. Take no thought. Receive no thought about your life. What you'll eat, what you drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither toil nor they sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? You know, this is not the ASPA that wrote this. God inspired this, and it's Jesus saying it. Are you not more of more value than a bird? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Wherefore don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? All these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, and here's what we're leading up to, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we named up above there shall be added to you. Trouble is, some of us get it mixed around. We seek first all the things and then, then the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And the other stuff will be grievous. You know, the garbage of the world will be grievous to your spirit. It's as simple as that. You'll truly be led by the Spirit, and that's abundant life in the Spirit. And there's no burden to that discipleship. That should be one of our goals. We've talked a lot about planning and goals. Not a burden or a debt to be led by the Spirit. It's, it should be a goal. True discipleship isn't a chore. It's a privilege for us to enjoy. Not a burden. We may need to lay down some self-centered ambitions. You know, I, I don't know anybody here that's, that's that way, but you know, maybe you know somebody that you can help. You know, you, you see what happened to the devil. I will, I will, I will, I will. Well, he didn't. And he's caused an awful lot of trouble. In the process of not being. But he gets his. I've read the back of the book. We may have to put to death a few things. Mortify a few things in life. But the rewards outnumber the things we've given up. Let's look at one final opening. And we'll close with this. Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 11. This is one of those openings where you want to just narrow it down, you know, but you, 
you can't do it. So you just you can just sit back and follow along, or you can look it up and follow along. Just enjoy what it says and understand it. Get it in your heart. The the heading here says not legalism, but Christ. <clears throat> in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. <clears throat> By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism which also were raised you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised <coughs> him from the dead <coughs> excuse me and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or of new moons or sabbaths which are shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ the body is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward. Reward. Look up the word reward in your strongs and follow through. And you'll see that Jesus talks quite a bit about reward and rewards. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, capital H, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3 starts out this way. If you then, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Key to the whole message. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Yeah, it's okay to have a good car, but don't covet somebody else's. That's idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now, you yourselves are put off by all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him if there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised barbarian Scythian slave nor free but Christ is all and in all Christ is all and in all you may need to lay down some self-centered things but don't give up all your ambition we need to be supporters of the gospel be endurers of the word committing our way to the Lord trusting in him he'll bring it to pass seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that we need will be added Jesus said it we believe it and that should settle it like Brother Hagin used to say so thank God there's no burden to discipleship his yoke is easy his burden is light Father we love you we praise you we thank you and we bless you we thank you again for the privilege of being your disciples upon this earth. We thank you for the privilege of being your children. We thank you for the privilege of being your servants. We thank you that you have joy in the prosperity of your servants. So you have joy in our prosperity because we're your children. We thank you for that. We thank you for the privilege of serving you. We consider it a privilege. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. Jesus said his burden is light. His yoke is easy. We're to learn of him. So we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to study. To show ourselves approved. Workmen that need not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing it. Studying it. Being students of your word. Putting it in our hearts. Memorizing it if we can and if we need to, but getting it in our hearts. We thank you for that privilege. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. We honor you today with who we are. We thank you for the privilege. Change us as you need to by your word. We thank you for all that we have in the natural in all that it is, we thank you that we can give more and our desires are for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.